0: what's up everybody it's power rankings podcast aka the power rankings show i'm your host elliot harrison and i am uh, pleased to be joined as always by the really effervescent um, confident there's a lot of adjectives i could use i just can't think of any that are really uh, complimentary at the moment <laughs> at Marcus underscore Moser. Hello.
1: Ah, uh, man. I, I love that. You had to pull me away from pop culture to do a football podcast. This is so good.
0: Yeah. Marcus, I was doing laundry. <laughs> Marcus was watching the Amber Heard uh, Johnny Depp trial. So there's that. If you guys want his hot takes on that, I'm sure he's got that <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, we do I've been have... following
1: it along on TikTok, man. It's just it's oh, a big gosh. deal.
0: All right, cool. TikTok, <laughs> Bitcoin, it's all the same. So, boy, I just I probably just infuriated like two of our oh, yeah. listeners right there. I can't wait now. till there's
1: an NFT of this trial. It's going to be so <laughs> good. <laughs> yes.
0: So. So anyway, uh, we actually have a uh, interesting show today. It's it's a it's a free flowing podcast, but it's a free flowing podcast with a little bit of a direction to it. So maybe it's not as it's somewhat free flowing. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Memorial Day. I, we didn't do it this week because when we do shows uh, with Brinks, we like to use the rundown and we like to hit every single team. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't want to do it right after Memorial Day because we do those early in the week, as a lot of you guys know. If you haven't checked that out, you could go to YouTube, uh, type in Marcus's name, he's a star, and uh, you'll you'll find the podcast, uh, or you could just type in the Power Ranking Show. Um, Might have to also scroll through the,
1: some Johnny Depp tweets to, to get there, but it'll be there. Yeah, yeah,
0: and Sunless Tanner. But uh, either way, <laughs> wait. We- we wanted to talk a little bit about, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the Memorial Day and veterans in the NFL, because it's not something that's discussed um, very often. And I'm, I want to just give some stories that I know, I didn't want to do a ton of research to get in the weeds about the details, because I don't know how important some of the details really are um, in terms of uh, either how these guys... Uh, you know, like n- numbers of regiments and things like that. I think it's really the theme of players that had promising careers that gave up that career or part of that career for service. Uh, also, we wanted to talk about something that's a little bit topical. Marcus just kind of asked me today, uh, what's a great landing spot for Jimmy G or Baker Mayfield? And it is tougher than you think when you mm-hmm. go through the team. So how much uh, mental... Uh, how many mental calisthenics have you done trying to figure out where to put Jimmy G?
1: Oh yeah, I think I think Jimmy G is a little bit easier than Baker Mayfield because I think he's probably a little bit easier of a person to fit into your locker room. But when mm-hmm. you're talking about somebody coming off a pretty major shoulder injury and wasn't super good last year, it's tough. Uh, there, there's just not very many teams, and we did get Kyle Shanahan this week. Elliot say. Hey, yeah, we're gonna try to trade Jimmy G. But shoulder injury obviously kind of put a hold on that stuff. But mm-hmm. they're they're trying to move on from him.
0: Do you? Obviously, they see you know they see him all the time in practice, and obviously, they spent a number one pick on another quarterback. But do you think it's a little bit of a mistake to let a veteran like this go right away to play someone that literally is? Barely played at all.
1: I mean, but this is the price when you trade three first round picks for a quarterback, right? You didn't really have a choice, right? And I think the 49ers are coming to the realization that we've kind of gotten as far as that we can with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, that's a long way. They, they were within a couple of plays of winning the Super Bowl, but you have to have everything perfect around him in order to, to have a chance. And I think they believe. That Trey Lance just has a much higher ceiling. So it's time to move on and go elsewhere.
0: But when you consider yourself uh, a legit contender, and they should, I mean, they had every chance, Marcus, to win that NFC championship game. We've gone over that game quite a bit on this podcast. Um, isn't it behoove you to have somebody waiting there that can get it done should things go yes. All right?
1: Yes. But in time, I don't think you want Trey Lance looking over his shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think you want Trey Lance to feel confident that, hey, he can make mistakes and it's okay. He can be aggressive with the football. And if he has a game with two interceptions and a fumble, he's not going to lose his job. I, I, I think that's a bigger concern. I think you want Lance to feel comfortable as the team's starting quarterback. Okay, fair enough. So what would be your favorite place for Jimmy G to be? Ooh. I think he needs to go somewhere where he doesn't play right away because he's coming off that shoulder injury. Go to some mm-hmm. place where there's not a lot of pressure on him. What about the Colts? Um, the, now the Colts have spent a lot of picks and a lot of money on a, on quarterbacks, but why not put him behind Matt Ryan and Nick Foles and just kind of wait it out and see see how healthy he is next year. Maybe you do it if the 49ers give you a draft pick and you can kind of, you know, you absorb the salary, but I think that's a good long-term spot for Garoppolo.
0: Okay. Um, So let's go over to Baker Mayfield for a second, because uh, Baker comes with a little bit more baggage. Is that fair to say? I I, I think it is. Um, Baker is even tougher to find a fit for in my mind than Jimmy Garoppolo. And, When I think about a place for Baker Mayfield, the first team that I go to, I don't think it would be smart because of what they just did in the draft. And that's the Tennessee Titans Mm -hmm. with a coach who could sit him down and say, I I don't care. I don't care what I've heard coming out of Cleveland. I don't care what everyone says. Um, These are my three Super Bowl rings. I want to help you get one. As long as you play hard for me, all that other stuff is garbage. Yep. And Ryan Tannehill did not have a good year last year. So you have a little bit of Tannehill insurance. The problem is they spent a third round pick on Malik Willis is a third round pick on a quarterback as highly touted as this one uh, is um, a deterrent
1: for you to get someone like a Baker Mayfield. Probably. And I think, Tannehill has been a quality quarterback long enough that I don't think he should have to worry about a quarterback like Baker Field behind him. Uh, how about a team that just preaches competition, a team that could use a quarterback upgrade, and a team that I think has the saddest quarterback competition in the league right now? What about the Seahawks? I, I think Baker would be actually be a great fit with Seattle if he wants to play right away because that's a team that wants to run the ball like crazy, Pete Carroll does care about competition, and frankly, he's just a big upgrade over Geno Smith and Drew Locke.
0: You know, I'm I'm fine with that. Um I think Marcus, you know, for me, people could say whatever they want about Baker Mayfield. You know, is he immature? Remember the whole we need an adult in the room. Yeah. This podcast. Uh people watching Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial, being late. Um, but I, I didn't hear anything. But, you know, the one thing you can't take away from the guys, he played hurt last year. And it was sure. really obvious there were times his offensive linemen would go help him up. Um, you know, you could say, yeah, but he was immature. and Yeah, his play was erratic. You know, its I, I'll never forget John Madden saying in a broadcast one time, you know, you could say what you want about these guys, but you can't say NFL quarterbacks aren't tough. Correct. And, and uh, even though the rules have gotten a lot
1: easier for them, not for Baker this year. Well, my, my thing for Baker is, do you want to go somewhere where you can play right away and show that you're healthy and get back to being a starting-level quarterback? Or do you want to go somewhere where you can sit, take the next six months to make sure that you're healthy, and then when you're a free agent in 2023, you know that's when you sign the new deal. I, if I was Baker, that's what I would be looking for. I, w- I would want to go to a, a team – that has an established starter that can allow me to get healthy, that can allow me to work on my fundamentals of the footwork. And that has a a good offensive coordinator uh, like Buffalo, you know, with Ken Dorsey, you know, running the stuff up there, or if it's Frank Wright in Indianapolis or somebody like that, that can kind of get him back to the quarterback that we saw in 2020.
0: Yeah. If any of y'all out there are thinking about Indy here, like established quarterback, but not a lot of time left in his career, good staff, good team. Baker wouldn't be expected to play, could get healthy. It's just the amount of money that that they spent to get. Do lot. you want to spend yeah. more to get Baker Mayfield? Of course, um, there are a lot of things that can happen, especially with a player's contract. We see it all the time where, where a player is traded and a team has to eat some of that money. But um, going outside of money, um, I like
1: your idea of Baker just being able to maybe sit and regroup for a year. Yeah, and we've seen this work with other quarterbacks. Like the guy that we just got done talking about, Ryan Tannehill, he kinda had this happen with the Titans, right? Like the Miami tenure did not work out particularly well. So he signed a deal um with the Titans, sat for a half a year, and when it was time for him to play, he played extremely well and parlayed that into a big contract. I I, I wouldn't be shocked if something similar happened with Baker Mayfield.
0: Yeah, I I um I wouldn't either. Boy, it's
1: raining here pretty good, and I just put laundry
0: out. Thankfully, I put it over the uh, overhang. I think. Ooh, golly, that was quick. Um, either way, I think it's it's fascinating to see what's going to happen with both of these quarterbacks because I mean they they're both of them have been talked about so much. I mean, I, I was telling you on the phone that uh, you know Jimmy Garoppolo got so much fame from really nothing uh the the patriots got blown out on monday night football by kansas city i think it was 2014 it was 40 something to whatever and and people were talking about tom brady maybe being done and jimmy garoppolo waiting the wings then there was reports that bill belichick really did not want to have to part ways with jimmy Mm -hmm. garoppolo and and how ownership might have been involved with siding with tom brady all that drama And then he goes to San Francisco. He wins like, I don't know, six straight starts or something. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's nice, you know, a six-game package. But, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, didn't he win five or six for the Saints? And, you know, he he, happens. The
1: the hard part about Garoppolo is with the 49ers, he has a record of 31 and 14. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And you're basically saying, hey – Thanks for uh, for getting us to the Super Bowl almost twice, and thanks for getting yeah. us to be super competitive, but bye. It's, it's tough. Uh, I, no, I got a question I, for you. Yeah. I got a question for you, because uh, both of these guys, I think, are going to have to be backup quarterbacks, at least to start the season, mm-hmm. right? I, I would be shocked if either one of these guys are week one starters, barring yeah. massive injuries somewhere, but... Who is currently the best backup quarterback in the league? Not not a guy that's like in a competition like Drew Locke and Geno Smith, but I'm saying like a true backup. I'll, I'll give you some options. Is it Teddy Bridgewater with the Dolphins? Is it Andy Dalton with the Saints? Is it Case Keenum with the Bills? Tyler Huntley with the Ravens? Colt McCoy for the Cardinals? Who, who for your money, is the best backup quarterback in the league right now?
0: I think I would trust Case Keenum the most. Actually, Bridgewater too, both of those guys. But I will say, I have seen stretches where Colt McCoy has played really, really well. Uh, last year, he went, I think, two and one. Two and one. Including gosh, a big, over 100
1: in those th- three games.
0: Yeah. A big win over um, San Francisco on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, ha, boy, that's tough. But you know what? Tyler Huntley played pretty well too, man. He, he watched uh, those games last year, but. I feel like the backup quarterback that I've seen that's been the most consistent about just playing good enough football, which is what you need. Because you look, you talk to your team and you, you know, the defense knows it has to step up and get some third down stops. The kicker knows, man, I have got to be on point. We're only going to get a few opportunities. Not that they don't take their job seriously all the time, but a lot of times teams play well for their backup quarterback. I think the Saints with Bridgewater. Uh, when he was there is a great example of that. I feel like Case Keenum and Bridgewater have been so consistent when they've been asked to do it about what they're going to give you. Colt McCoy
1: turns 36 this year. I don't know how that happened, but it, he, it feels like he should only be like 30 or 31 years old, but he's 36.
0: Yeah, well, his rookie year, I believe, was 2010. Is that right? Um, 9
1: 2010, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. And he was like a 23-year-old
0: rookie. That makes sense. Well, you know what? i'm gonna just say that i'm tired of talking about jimmy garoppolo and baker mayfield for one day sure but uh the but the backup but the backup debate if if there is one i i i think i'd have a hard time seeing somebody be able to argue for anybody but those guys um just going through i mean obviously uh, Nick Foles signed with the Indianapolis Colts, won a Super Bowl a few years ago. But Nick Foles has been very, very inconsistent. And I feel like Keenum and Bridgewater kind of give you what they give you when, and you know what to expect. And if I'm a head coach, Marcus, that's what I'd want.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll just mention two other names really quickly. Taylor Heineke started a lot of games last year, but I think he's going to be back into that full-time backup. Mm-hmm. He's a good backup quarterback. He really is. And then Tyrod Taylor, he's had some really bad luck in his career. But now that he's a backup for Daniel Jones, I feel really good if you need him to get you through a four-game stretch. Well, you know, in
0: regards to, you know, kind of tying this together, like I said, I, I, I just mentioned I was tired of talking about them, but I'm going to mention them one more time. Baker Mayfield, Jimmy G, is it's a good chance that they are backups this year. And most likely they are backups this year. And would they automatically kind of be at the front of that line? I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I I would trust the guys that have done it on a consistent basis, and and um, you know, but uh, I'm also a little bit more conservative, you don't have as much upside with the guys I mentioned either. I think that's fair. I thought you were going to start talking about your fantasy team and how you had to plug and play Matt Moore one time. No, i played way worse
1: quarterbacks in my fantasy league than Matt Moore. Don't you worry. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I tell you, it might be a little bit of an odd segue, but we uh, wanted to talk about Memorial Day a little bit, and um, obviously there's been a lot going on in the world, and so even Memorial Day this year wasn't quite uh, the same as it usually is, and I just started thinking about some players that... You may not be totally familiar with, but have absolutely incredible stories. But I kind of wanted to ask you first, um, when you think of like a veteran that was in the NFL, who, who, who's the first guy that comes to mind? Just the first
1: name. I mean, it's a recent one for me, but it's Alejandro Villanueva who played for the Steelers and then the Ravens this year, right? Was, uh, was in the Army um, for, I believe, one tour. I think he was there for four years and then eventually made it to the NFL as a tight end. The Eagles turned him into an offensive tackle before he signed with the Steelers and had a really long, nice career uh, with Pittsburgh. But that's the, that's the name that comes to mind first for me.
0: Yeah. I think for most people it's Pat Tillman. Um, And I, I definitely get that. Pat Tillman came in the league with the um, Arizona Cardinals back in 1998 and he was part of a young Cardinals team that was making its move in the then NFC East. They played the Cowboys that year in the playoffs. They demolished the Cowboys that year in the playoffs. Quite frankly, it was the Jake Plummer Cardinals, and uh, Pat Tillman ended up giving up a you know a, a rather large contract for what he was a uh, uh, safety at the time um, to volunteer. And he went to, this was after the September 11th attacks, he went to or was deployed in Afghanistan. Uh, he was killed in action there. He played four years in the NFL. He started off as a special teamer. Then he became a starter. Mm-hmm. I remember Dr. Z put him on his all pro team in 2000 and people made fun of Dr. Z for that. But Dr. Z said he this guy was a maniac tackling machine, which is true. Uh, having watched uh, a lot of Cardinals games in that era. um, Plus, I was a Cowboys fan in the 90s. The Cardinals were in the Cowboys division. I think Pat Tillman's the first guy that comes to mind. I think the NFL and the Cardinals, the Bidwell family, they've all done a really great job of honoring him. I don't want to take anything away from Pat Tillman at all. But Pat Tillman is not the only person that volunteered for duty. It's just in this day and age when the stakes financial stakes are so high Uh, whereas guys that volunteered back in the old days they weren't making as much money and not putting i think people marcus with pat tillman really couldn't get over the fact that he was giving up millions of dollars to do
1: this yeah and
0: then no one expected for him to 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 die in action
1: yeah uh that's uh, i think that's the one a lot of people remember can can i can i bring up another one that is at least somewhat close to me. Sure. Uh, Rocky Blyer, who uh, played for the Steelers in, I believe that was in the 70s, right? Yeah, late 60s, early 70s. Um, So I'm doing this for uh, a family friend, but my wife's uh, neighbor growing up was a man named Jeff who actually served in the Army uh, with Rocky. And when Rocky got shot in the thigh, Jeff was the medic that took care of Rocky on the battlefield uh, when it happened. And as we know, Rocky ended up, uh, Blier ended up returning back to the NFL field. I think it was 1970 uh, was with the Steelers when they won a Super Bowl. Uh, I think that's another one of the most famous military members in the NFL.
0: So Rocky Blier, I think is a really interesting name to bring up, you know, he, because yeah, he did get shot in the thigh, but then he tried to jump over a hand grenade that bounced off of, uh, another soldier, and he's already been shot in the leg when he's trying to to jump over it. He didn't quite make it, and didn't the, the did grenade get him in the? Was it the ankle or the?
1: It was the, the right heel, right heel.
0: So yeah, so he's been shot in one thigh. He's got a gr- grenade sh- uh, shrapnel in his heel, and when he was in the hospital, uh, Art Rooney, the Steelers owner, wrote him and said, "We need you, Rock," and it was very motivating for him that that you know, the Roonies hadn't forgotten about him because he was up Marcus. I, I don't remember what round he was drafted in, but I want to say it was like 16. I can look it up. I mean, it was, he was, this is not like a star player who, you know, th- that that everyone's waiting to come back. You know, he'd only been there one year. And so it was really touching and motivating for him to have the, the owner be like, Hey, we need you. Um, and Blyer came back. It took him a while to get in the lineup but he got in the lineup after the steelers waved preston pearson who you talked about on your locked on cowboys podcast recently when they waved preston pearson the cowboys picked preston pearson up rocky blyer got into the starting lineup finally and then they ended up playing against each other uh in super bowl 10 that first year um which is pretty cool rocky blyer four super bowl rings Caught the go-ahead touchdown pass in Super Bowl thirteen. Ran for a thousand yards in nineteen seventy six, and uh, I think it's remarkable that your neighbor was the medic that took care of him. That I can't get over.
1: Yeah, and uh, you can ask him about it. He said that it was a pretty pretty gruesome injury, and but Rocky was able to still kind of move around and was able to get back to the hospital and recover and become a really good NFL player. It's just an incredible story.
0: Uh, if you go back to the Cowboys, uh, there that we just talked about them playing in Super Bowl Ten, the quarterback
1: in that game was
0: Roger Staubach, and Roger Staubach, I think, is also one of the very, very famous uh, veterans that people think of. I think an older generation, your dad's generation, if you if if you were to ask your dad the same question I asked you, he'd probably say Roger Staubach, and um, you know Roger. The interesting thing with Roger, he came in the league in 69, the same year as Rocky Blyer, but he had to do four years commitment because he had gone to the Naval Academy. So Roger missed out on 65, 66, 67, and 68. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The thing that's interesting to me about it, uh, just, and I'd kind of like to get your thoughts on this, is if you've ever seen film of Roger Stahlback, he is incredibly mobile. Like, oh, yeah, you would
1: say he's a dual threat quarterback early in his career, right? Yes, he's one of those
0: dudes who, like, at 55 would kill you at racquetball, you know? Well, he still does
1: a uh, flag football league on Thanksgiving every year.
0: And, you know, I mean, really, at 55, this dude would have kicked your butt. Like, kicked your butt. (laughs) And the interesting thing to me is that those four years got taken away. Um, In those four years with his running ability think about him in today's game oh my god he'd be a star yeah not just a star probably the best player in the league truly
1: oh yeah his game would have been perfect for the modern era right where you have these dual threat quarterbacks that can scare you outside of the pocket but also as a runner you have to play 11 on 11 football yeah he would be a perfect fit in today's nfl
0: Roger threw the football all the time. The the Cowboys would send him shipments of footballs. I think he was a supply officer who dealt with logistics in Vietnam. And so he was able to have some time to just throw the ball, play pickup games, and things like that, which guys did that a lot. You know, uh, war is not just about the actual battle. It's about the downtime as well. A lot of downtime, yep and supply, um, which so being a supply officer is no small thing because you don't have an army if you can't supply it. Um, But Roger did go in 67 and 68 to the Cowboys training camp when he got leave so that he could stay involved with the team and practice. And there's a great story about him being in training camp. He's a young guy and the Cowboys uh, trained in Thousand Oaks, California and they had a scrimmage with the 49ers and the 49ers had this veteran quarterback named John Brody and John Brody. hears Tom Landry, also another veteran uh, who flew like 25 combat missions in world war II. Uh, Here's Tom Landry talking to Roger Staubach, like telling him, you know how to read the field and the X and the Y and the Z and all this stuff. Yep. And John Brody waits until Landry's done. And a few minutes later, he's, he like, kind of goes up next to Roger, you know, it's a scrimmage. So the team guys are next to each other. Brody goes over to Roger Staubach and he's like, don't listen to all that. Just find the open guy and throw it to him. (laughs) Don't clutter your mind with that nonsense. Um, But you know, the Cowboys had a great quarterback at the time, Don Meredith, also your, you know, your dad's generation Cowboys and, and, uh, you know, it was just hard for Roger to get in the lineup. He didn't get into the lineup, Marcus, until he was 29 years old, but then ended up leading the NFL and passing rating like four times in a really truncated career.
1: Best 14th round pick of all time. I guess it was, a t- it was 14th round the AFL best 10th round pick of all time in the NFL draft.
0: Yeah. It was, a, you know, <laughs> they knew that he wasn't gonna be able to play for four years. The Cowboys incidentally had another player. I know that you're familiar with that had to wait four years. In fact, He's one of the last guys that I know of that had to do this. It was uh Chad Hennings who was a defensive mm. lineman for the nineties Cowboys. He was uh, he played college ball for the air force. Uh, the Cowboys drafted him in 88. And so 88, 89, 90, 91, he served. And then he reached out to the Cowboys. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was now the head coach. So the new staff, Marcus had no affiliation to him whatsoever. He was just some random draft pick from 1988 I think he like got into the states and had to do like a tryout at Valley Ranch the next day, you know. It's not like, oh, you get two months of you know, running in aerodynamic shoes on field turf with a paid trainer who's worked with all these other guys. No, it's just pretty much like, yo, dude, put on your capes, put on some sweatpants, and come out to the facility. And he was such a good athlete that
1: uh, he oh, made the yeah. team. Uh, can I give you another one that we should we should mention? Yeah. One of the very first candidates ever. I remember in my life thinking maybe hey, maybe running backs don't matter, Elliot. It's Mike Anderson for the Broncos, uh, right? Oh. <laughs> I man, go ahead, go ahead. Fifteen hundred yards
0: <laughs> out of absolutely nowhere. No one it's two thousand, right? Well, I don't what are, what are his 2,000, Two
1: thousand fifteen hundred sorry. Almost seventeen hundred total yards and fifteen touchdowns in twelve starts. <laughs> unbelievable.
0: Was he a rookie? Was he a 25 year old rookie? Something a, a like that?
1: 27 year old rookie, uh, because he was in the Marine Corps for four years, uh, comes in and starts for the Broncos. It just tears it up,
0: man. That's when the Broncos were going through, you know, they, Terrell Davis got,
1: um, hurt in 99
0: when, um, I think it was Victor green was a jet safety picked off a pass from, uh, like Bubby Brister and, Terrell Davis tried to run him down and actually tore his knee up running down a pick six. You never see that. Yeah. And then, uh, Landis Gary took over that year, ran for a thousand yards. Then it was Mike Anderson. Yep. Who was, who was after Mike Anderson? Was it Ruben drones
1: or Tatum Uh, bell? Tatum bell was in there. Listen, I, I love Tatum bell for a little bit, but yeah, I think 2001 was still Clinton Portis. It's Clinton Portis. Yeah, he, well Porus was 2002. Yeah. And then he got traded and
0: then it was Ruben Drones and Tatum Bell and whoever else behind the Alex Gibbs zone block scheme. Um that's a great pull. That's a great pull. Mike Anderson did he finish with the Ravens? I think?
1: Uh I yeah, I think he later on in his career he was with the Ravens. Yep. I mean he he, kind of he transitioned nice, over to be like a fullback later in his career.
0: Yeah, he was, dude, he was a big he was a He's a big he wasn't Mike Tolbert but you know he was he was a big guy. He was this was not like a little Tatum Bell kind of running back at all. Um that's a great pull. By the way, Chad Henning's the thing that people could not get over. He was so big. No one could figure out how that guy ever got into the cockpit of a fighter jet. Like did a crane have to, you know, drop him in there? Um but he, you know, he contributed with their defensive line rotation on their Super Bowl teams. He earned three rings. Uh Pretty nice, you know, to to mm-hmm. to land with the Cowboys. Uh, his first year was '92 when they won their first Super Bowl. Um, you know, there there are a lot of guys that you can go back over history, and you know, with Pat Tillman, like I said, he volunteered, and it was just an amazing thing that we all couldn't really. I don't want to say couldn't get over, but we all were just stunned that wow, this guy's walking away. Plus, players were got so much more, you know, fame and accolades and so much more coverage when Pat Tillman did it. But there were other volunteers, I think, that have been overshadowed a little bit. I just want to give out a couple of them um that that I think are that that are interesting or guys that if they didn't volunteer, they really took their their commitment seriously. So you can go to college and be on ROTC program. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? Yes. Um, yes. And and uh, the Bills had a guy named Bob Kalsu, who was a nose tackle. He won Bills Rookie of the Year his first year in 68. But he was ROTC in college. And when they needed him for Vietnam in 69, you know he could have gotten something that was not near the front lines or combat zones. And he felt like that wasn't right. He thought just because I'm a football player, I shouldn't. I should honor my commitment. Uh, he ended up passing away there. Uh, it was hit by a mortar shell. Uh, he was advised to actually hide in a bunker, and he wanted to be out there with his guys, uh, even though he was an officer mm-hmm. to to help them. Um, and NFL Films did an amazing piece on it. Uh, they won an Emmy for it. So, if you ever want to watch a really great piece, type in Bob Kalsu. It's probably on YouTube. Um, he's an excellent, excellent example. But there are other guys going even farther back. World War II, Marcus, that they volunteered. You know, the, the Pearl Harbor, Harbor got bombed, and these guys ran to sign up. And I remember reading. I think the Bears in Washington were playing a game on December seventh, nineteen forty-one. And the PA announcer actually came on and said, any military personnel that's in the stadium, please report to your your officers or your offices immediately. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy to think because Pearl Harbor was on a Sunday. And so there were several players that were lost in World War II. And so there's just two little stories I'd like to tell about uh, two of them. Before I do that, though, do you – like? If a player loses part of his career to military service, do you think this is such a touchy kind of thing? As a, but it's come up before. Like, is it unfair to a Rocky Blyer or a Roger Staubach that their numbers aren't as good? Or that oh, maybe no, it's not- it's
1: it's not fair at all, right? I think you have to judge them just based on the seasons that they played, right? Because you can compare Roger Staubach's numbers to who do they always compare it now? Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and you can say, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick's career numbers are better than Roger Staubach. Well, that's not fair at all, right? That's why you have to compare per game stats. And luckily, we have resources that help us do that. But yeah, you, I don't hold that against anybody, right?
0: Right, and and you know, I think, um, and in regards to Pat Tillman, even I think he's been looked at posthumously a little bit. I don't want to say unfairly because he's he's been very well respected. But, you know, Pat Tillman played really hard, man. And it's easy to say that about somebody, you know, after they do something to glorify them posthumously. But I watched him play a lot of games. And Dr. Z was right. He was a tackling machine. Yeah. And no fear, really physical player. They had a young safety, Adrian Wilson they got, mm-hmm. Pat Wilson's uh, Pat Tillman's last year. Adrian Wilson had a great career. Yeah. And um, he's talked about Pat before. And so I just think that's, you know, merits pointing out, but all right. So you ready for a little story time? So there's two stories I really, really like. Um, I'm going to tell you one first that has to do with the Cardinals. So the Cardinals had this guy um, named Montanelli. He played for Notre Dame. He had a really famous run against USC In the late 30s, college football was really, really big, believe it or not, in the late 30s. Like it was baseball, boxing, college football. Those were the big sports. And college football was way bigger than the NFL back then. Uh, Tonelli got into the army and he was stationed in a place called Bataan, uh, Corregidor to be specifically. It was a peninsula where the Japanese were converging on the allied forces and General MacArthur decided to pull out and it left all these guys stranded on a peninsula. So think Florida. You're at the bottom of Florida. You got nowhere to mm-hmm. go. You got the right. sea all around you. And here comes, you know, Japan, uh, the Japanese army. Between 60 and 80,000 guys were captured. They're POWs, including this this really up and coming Cardinals running back. And they did something called the baton death March, where these POWs had to be marched 70 miles to a train. So many of these guys died just on the March alone with, you know, not adequate food or water. If they were too tired, they were executed and they were taken into trains. The trains, they were then packed into these trains with no ventilation. Then either taken by ship somewhere or taken to other areas to build airfields and roads for the Japanese army. So many of these 60 to 80,000, they don't know the exact number, but so many of them died. A lot of them died in transports where they were bombed by allied planes. So imagine you're a POW, you just marched 70 miles, you got thrown into a train, <clears throat> then you get put into a barge and you, you, you're almost you know you're almost at least going to be safe from this arduous journey and then allied planes your own friends are bombing you because they, they don't know that you're yep. in the bottom of these these cargo holes in these ships and I mean they just packed these guys in these cargo holes they suffocate I mean it was it was the probably the worst most egregious treatment of pows in the history of modern warfare and Monstanelli was right in the thick of it and survived all of it all of it and after he survived he went from 180 i think or 190 down to like 90 pounds
1: marcus he lost- i i, I say i actually met one of these pow's last year same story he can't he was when he went into the army he was 180 pounds and he left he was 89 pounds
0: it's it's insane i mean if you march it's I think yeah they marched i think between 60 and 69 miles they're not sure on the exact number with they no got- shoes No shoes, um, no shoes or no, or also how about just exhausted from warfare? You know, they're already not in great shape when they're marching. Then they get thrown in trains where they're suffocating and they're all sitting like literally on top of each other. Then they get thrown in cargo holds on a ship where they're at sea. I think they were at sea for 68 days
1: Yep. like that.
0: And you know, then to get bombed by friendly fire. And then when you finally get to where you're, you're supposed to be, um, now you have to work. You're forced labor. And there were very few of these guys that survived. Montanelli is one of the ones that did. Um, there's a great, great book called Gold Soldiers. If you like nonfiction and you like war history at all, I, it's one of the best books I've ever read on on any war. And it's about the army rangers that were... Trained to go in and rescue these POWs, and they did, and it's amazing.
1: Um, it, there's, there's a say. There's still a few of these POWs that are alive. They have videos up on YouTube. Um, I actually, I posted one on there, so you go check it out. But yeah, they, their story is absolutely incredible.
0: If you go to YouTube and you look up Motts Tonelli, it's M O T T S T O N E L L I. NFL Films has about a five-minute video on him. They did it in the '90s. And I, it stuck with me.
1: I watched it once in the '90s, Marcus, and it, I never forgot it. So it, it, it's just hard to imagine what they went through, right? I mean, every day, and it's, and even when they got some of it, the, when they got rescued at the end, they still had to march a long ways back, right? It, it's, yes, <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. But uh,
0: Charles Bidwell, uh, the Cardinals owner, uh, Michael Bidwell, still owns the the team. So this would have been Michael Bidwell's grandfather, gave Montanelli a contract. Now, this guy was, you know, in terrible shape. There's no way he could come back and play again. But by doing that, he got his NFL pension and the NFL gave him a little card. It was a pass and he could go to any box office at any any ticket office at any NFL stadium for the rest of his life and that's get incredible. into the game for free. That's awesome. um, it, it it really is. Not that, not that that's the most important thing, but uh, quite a history there with the Cardinals with Pat Tillman and Mott Stinelli. My favorite story is a different guy. Um, so Bob Kalsu, the guy I told you about from Buffalo Bills, went to Oklahoma. He's a Sooner. And he has been well. Uh, they have an award. He's His story is very well known. But there was another Oklahoma Sooner in the late 30s named Wadi Young, who entered into the Air Force. And he flew the B-24 bomber, which is the B-24s were like super dangerous. Uh, they were very, very difficult to fly. A lot of guys died training to fly these. And he flew 25 missions. Now, in World War II, if you flew 25 missions, you were done. Like that was what you... That's what you were supposed to do, and then you got leave. Like Tom Landry flew 25 missions. Waddy Young wanted to go back and help out. So after flying against the Germans uh, uh, in a B-24, the uh, you know the U.S. Army, I guess I don't even know that the Air Force actually existed in that in name at that time, put him in a B-29 Super Fortress and gave him his own squadron and at this time it's 1945 the japanese are 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 losing the war and the b29s are bombing tokyo and Wadi young this oklahoma star who played in the nfl for the brooklyn dodgers yes the brooklyn dodgers were an nfl team he fl- was one of the very first squadrons to fly over tokyo in in on bombing raids they did they delivered their bombs and on their way back as the fortress, as the, their, their squadron was flying back, Wadi Young noticed that one of the bombers that his friend captain or piloted was really damaged by Kamikaze planes. So back then the, the Japanese were losing the war. And so they mm-hmm. were literally dive bombing their planes into ships and, and into, into bombers. And I guess the Kamikaze had hit this other bomber that was a friend of Wadi Young's, but hadn't taken it out, but they were sputtering and they were falling back of the pack or what have you. So Wadi Young, says i'm gonna go after him so wadi young pulls his bomber up next to the other bomber to kind of help out just so that they could you know fly together back right right and his last transmission to the flight crew the grounds crew was that we're okay and they never heard or saw from any of his crew again or that other bomber and what they think happened is he went back to help and the bombers probably collided and you have to think these bombers are they're not modern planes like they are now, and if they're heavily damaged, it would be really difficult, I would think, to keep it steady, sure, um, sure. especially in in whatever the weather pattern was at the time. So that story always touched me because here's a guy who was a major football star who did not have to like major. He wasn't just a he was a wrestling star at Oklahoma. Also, <clears throat> he flew his missions. He didn't have to stay, you know, there he flew 25 missions against the German Luftwaffe planes. And and then he goes and he he stays the entire bout of the war. So he fought the Germans in like 42, Marcus, and he stayed all the way through 45 to fight in the other theater, the Pacific theater. And he didn't even get shot down. He only crashed or whatever happened because he saw another plane limping home. And he wanted them to have almost like an escort. I think that is just remarkable. And the fact that
1: sacrifice right there, right?
0: It is and the fact that he is not remembered. um, And nobody talks about this. Um, He actually played in the first televised NFL game ever. The first televised NFL game ever was 1939, which I can't believe there were TV sets in 1939 (laughs) <laughs> but there were about 500 people that had TV sets in New York, and the Brooklyn Dodgers played the Philadelphia Eagles. Waddy Young was a part of that. He wanted to be a fighter pilot, but he was 6'3", over 200 pounds, which was an awfully big man for the NFL and the mm-hmm. 1940s. It's too big, so um, he ended up being a bomber pilot. And uh, to to to, I, I just I find it to be a remarkable yeah.
1: story. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And it, it, these are the kind of stories that we should be telling on Memorial Day, right? It's exactly that because people don't remember him because it happened so long ago. But uh, I'm glad that you shared that with us, Elliot. I,
0: I wish, you know, and again, it's not taking away from any of the guys that are more famous uh, at all, like Roger Stalback. And of course, have mentioned Pat Tillman. They deserve all the the credit in the world. I just wanted to bring to light a couple of people that um, and I didn't do a great job here. I, you know, I don't know every detail and obviously this is a podcast. We, you know, we, we try to keep it somewhat short on time, but if you have an opportunity to just Google Waddy Young, it's an incredible story and you can see a picture of him and his plane. They, they was cause his, his, uh, B 29 was called Waddy's wagon. And there's, it's painted on the side. And you can see all of he and his uh, crewmates all acting kind of, you know, being silly uh, out in front of the plane. It's a great photo. And these are, when you see a photo like that. The B-24 bombers that they flew over Europe. Those things. I really wonder when they call something like a, well, let's just put it this way. Those things were incredibly dangerous, even in training. And so for a guy to fly that against the Germans then say, you know what? I want to stay. Uh, they assigned him to Japan and now he's flying a B 29 super fortress, which were those massive bombers. Um, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's a remarkable thing. Mastanelli, like I said, the video is on YouTube. If anyone out there wants to go look at it, it's a quick vignette. It's about five minutes. The vignette on Bob Kalsu, the Bill's nose tackle is absolutely phenomenal. Hmm. And like I said, uh, NFL films won an Emmy for that one. There's also a great sports illustrated feature. He's got a plaque uh, at Buffalo's stadium. I forgot, what do we call it? What's the Bill's stadium called now? I always forget. It's,
1: it's not Ralph Wilson anymore. What no, it
0: is It's not NRG. That's um what is the Bills? Well, there's a but plaque there.
1: This is this is bad radio, but they're getting a new stadium. Uh it's uh hold on, I got it right here. It's Highmark stadium.
0: Okay. Well, there is a plaque Still to off. Bob okay. Kalsu there, but um you know, again, I can't I cannot reiterate enough that it is worth your time to just read a quick article or watch one of these five minute vignettes um nfl films man that's really when they're in their pocket too when they do those those kinds of stories and uh you know all of them all of them are great but is there anything that really sticks
1: out to you before we go no i i I think we covered it all those are some incredible stories i I highly recommend that you guys go check those out on youtube there's a couple really good rocky blyer videos as well Uh, i want to believe the nfl network did uh but yeah if you get where he the, goes it,
0: back, you talking about the one where he went back.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That was insane.
1: Yeah. If you have 10, 15 minutes and you're trying to kill some time, go watch those. They're just really well done. Uh, and you'll learn a little bit.
0: I'm trying to remember. Was that a football life? Um
1: It might be. Yeah.
0: I only saw it one time and I caught it. You know, uh, it was, I wasn't planning to watch it. And I think we were showing it on NFL network. Um, yeah that that really touched me uh where they went right back to the spot where he you know his um, outfit had been uh I, I the fact that your neighbor so your neighbor would have to be you know about 70 something years old yeah, i
1: think he's 76 77 uh just saw him he was in the we went to a memorial day parade uh and he was in the parade for the uh the veterans and it was really nice to see him there so
0: Man, that is, uh, that is really something. Well, you know, they, they uh last thought from me here is I asked you about, do you think some of these guys' careers have not been maybe looked at the way that they should because they lost time? And th- the most famous example of that is actually Ted Williams uh, mm-hmm. who uh, served. And Ted Williams, his batting numbers would have been insane. I mean, they already are insane. But if you're a baseball guy, you already know what I'm talking about. But like I said, Roger Staubach, give him – you know, if he had a chance to play those first few years,
1: oh give me a break. Oh, what about Mike Anderson? What if Mike Anderson is the running back for the Broncos in the late nineties, right? Instead of Terrell Davis, right? I mean, he might be the guy that we think about in the Super Bowls. And now I mean that's that's why I don't I don't care too much about that stuff. Mike Anderson is a really, really good player. Even though he started his career at twenty seven, uh have one of the better running back seasons that you'll ever see.
0: Well, those are the names for you. I'll just, uh, I'll just read them off again. If
1: anybody wants to Google it, Waddy
0: Young is the player who uh, flew his bomber back to help his buddies um, uh, damaged bomber and never came back. Mastanelli lived, I think Montanelli lived into his 90s and uh, the, the great vignette on YouTube. He played for the Chicago Cardinals. If you want to look him up, pro ProFootballReference.com, by the way, if some of you out there are not familiar with it, great website. Marcus lives on that website. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, what what better reference website is there than that one? not
1: the best one out there.
0: Yep. Yeah, and then Bob Kalsu uh, is the Bills nose tackle from the late '60s. Those are the best stories I know, along with Pat Tillman, and then some of the other ones that we talked about. Obviously Roger, um, but yeah, that's that's all I have. And I, you know, I think. Uh, I think all of us respect Memorial Day, but this is just gives a little bit of a football taste to it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to, to uh, end the show. Um, we should also mention we did a, a podcast, a much less serious podcast, uh, earlier this week talking about the best quarterbacks in the league. Go check that out. But uh, that's my last word, Elliot. It was just this is a fun podcast.
0: You bet, you bet. Well, he is at Marcus underscore Mosher. He's the host of Locked On Cowboys with Landon McCool. They do a good job over there. And then he covers the Raiders for USA Today. I am at Elliot. That's my name. (laughs) Elliot. Yeah, I'm at Elliot. I'm who messes up when they're signing off of a podcast of their own,
1: like Twitter handle. At Harrison NFL, I got. I probably type it on Twitter more than you do. So. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. We will uh, catch you guys next week and we appreciate you as always. And if you did happen to serve and you listen to us, thank you very much for your service. And I hope uh, I did these guys uh, some justice. Thanks so much.